Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, 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 it's Holly Lustig here with Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to the podcast. I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. All right, so I have a very special guest on the show today, Miss Sarah Olivieri, and she is going to talk about some great things. She's actually going to be covering fundraising do's and don'ts, why you should stop asking your board to fundraise. Oh my gosh, that's so controversial. I love it. <laughs> we really dive deep into that. Um, and she's also going to talk about myths. So what are some fundraising myths? And, and we're also going to touch on strategy because that is what she does. Um, but if you love today's podcast episode, please join us on August 3rd. She has a special master training she's doing for all of you guys called How to Streamline Your Communication Strategy So You Can Increase Your Time, Money, and Impact. Very, very cool. So I absolutely love this. Um, that's going to be on August 3rd. So for today's show notes, um, to sign up for that free training, jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 180. So you can definitely sign up there um, and join us for this free training on August 3rd. And it will be recorded in case you guys um, want to sign up, but you know you have something else going on at that time. It's at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, but then you can also, you know, uh, watch the replay. So there'll be a limited time replay. Um, so definitely jump over to that. You're going to love today's podcast episode. I'm not going to waste any more time really here, except I'm going to read Sarah's bio real quick. And then we're going to get right into today's episode, um, which is fantastic. Sarah Olivieri is a nonprofit business strategist, number one international best-selling author, and former executive director. She frequently presents at conferences and online trainings and has been featured as an expert on more than 50 podcasts. Sarah is a creator of the Impact Method, a framework that helps nonprofits simplify their operations, build aligned teams, and make a bigger impact without getting overwhelmed or burning out. <laughs> Don't you love that? She has more than 15 years of nonprofit leadership experience and was a co-founder of the Open Center for Autism, the executive director of the Helping of War Foundation, and co-author of Lesson Plan a la carte, Integrated Planning for Students with Special Needs. As a founder and heart behind Pivot Ground, Sarah helps nonprofits make a big impact with relative ease. And you're going to hear some of that today in our episode. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and I'm here to help you increase the capacity to increase your funding and to advance your mission. So on the show today, I have Miss Sarah Olivieri. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Super excited to have you on the show today. Again, you're returning. I love it. Yes. <laughs> so, Sarah, you're with Pivot Ground, so pivotground.com. And I love the work that you do with nonprofits. So talking about growing capacity, increasing funding, and advancing mission, you also do a lot of those things with the different nonprofits that you work with. So can you kind of talk to us a little bit about Pivot Ground? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, now I help nonprofits, but I used to be running nonprofits. I've been an executive director, development person, conference coordinator, 
board member, secret toilet fixer. Um, <laughs> I would seek, I didn't want anybody to know that I could fix it because I didn't want it to be stuck with the job. So I'd wait till everybody left and then I'd go fix it. But you know, I know so many executive directors that are out there mowing the lawn. <laughs> They're doing whatever needs to be done. Um, so I've totally been there. But now, and I had a brief stint running a marketing agency for nonprofits. And in that work running a marketing agency, I really realized what most nonprofits need is a way of running better so that they can be financially sustainable, so that they're not overwhelmed all the time, and they can really start focusing on scaling their impact without it feeling so bad. And that's when I was like really drawn to what is my true passion. What I do now with Pivot Ground is helping nonprofits do that, small, medium, and large organizations. And um, it is just the best work I could possibly imagine doing. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. And you also, I love that, you know, you do all of this different work, but you understand what it means because you were a part of that. You were doing those things. So it's really important, I think, for you to know how to communicate not only right with nonprofits, but to understand the thought process and the mentalities and everything. So you also know what the real challenges are, you know, and what the real wins feel like. So I think that's a great way for you to come in and, and look at that. So we're going to be talking about um, some, we're actually really looking at fundraising today. And I love that we're really kind of thinking about what are the do's and the don'ts? What are the myths about this? And I love one of the things that you said is why you should stop asking your board to fundraise. Cause I'm always saying the opposite thing. So I can't wait to hear what you say about that today. Um, so before we go into that though, I just want to let you guys know out there, we, you're actually going to come on and do a longer webinar and really talk about how to streamline your communication strategy. So you're gonna talk about strategy to increase time, money, and impact. And that's happening on August 3rd at 3 p.m. So definitely jump over today to the show notes so you can register for that free training. So thank you so much for doing that uh, for the people here at Grant Writing and Funding. I totally appreciate that. Yeah, totally my pleasure. And I'll have lots of um, giveaways to get you started right away when you do that. And I'll tell you <clears throat> the reason why I created this webinar that we're going to give and why I actually I created a method for laying out your fundraising strategy. Nice. Because I started getting clients saying like, hey, how can I get started with fundraising? I, I'd even hire help but they weren't ready for like a big old fundraising consultant to come in and do all the work for them. And there was some really good information, like your information about like what to do, right? What tactics to try. Um, and so I knew, but there wasn't a lot of information about how to actually organize your strategy, how to write it up. And I know a lot about strategy. Strategy is like my thing. And what I learned about strategy and what I do with organizations from the organizational level, not just the fundraising space, is I help them design their strategies in a way that produces better strategies, produces better ideas, right? Because it's not, it's not, I don't want to just be giving you good ideas. I want to help you create your own better ideas. And I want to do it in a way that saves you time, right? Yeah. Because the one thing that executive directors and small nonprofits want even more than money, maybe is some time <laughs> back in their day. And um, so I hope you'll join me then because the strategy method I'm going to show you will not only help you raise more money 
it will also help you get more time back in your day. So it's like a two for one. Yeah. And I I love that. You're like, you know, everything, whenever we've talked before, whenever we've done a podcast and we talk about like, you have the impact method, which is actually really good on how to strategize. Once again, another strategy. And it always relates back to time. And even in the green room, before we started the podcast today, you've basically been able to shift because of the whole, you know, you've got a kid at home, you've got things going on, your work week into two days. So you understand how to do this, not just on a professional level, but also on a personal level. So you're the queen of this. (laughs) (laughs) And that's because, you know, Holly knows this, but for those of you watching my son, um, got is now out of school and um and it happened suddenly and i had to adjust basically over a weekend from working 5 days a week on an abbreviated schedule like 9 to 3:30 like a lot of moms yeah. um to working two days a week. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't have my strategy already written out in a concise way, in a way that was easy to adjust. So my assistant, I do have an assistant, I'm not totally alone, but I just have an assistant. We sat down, we re-looked at things, we rehashed my calendar and redistributed everything. And you know, it didn't happen overnight, but after about two weeks, we were pretty pretty much adjusted. We've still had a lot of conversations. How do we fit this thing in? But we were able to pivot that fast because of the way we manage our strategies and our work. We were not scrambling to like put it all together. We had a plan that we could pivot. And that's partly why, you know, my company's named Pivot Ground, because I like to think about creating a safe space where people can figure out where they're going to go and pivot. Yeah. Um, and that so was even way before pivot was the, the new word. <laughs> That's right. Way before pivot was the new word. <laughs> <laughs> You've been thinking about pivoting for a long time. No, I love that. I mean, and that's the thing. And I love that you're going to lay out in this webinar, a strategy so we can follow it through. So definitely sign up you guys, August 3rd. I'm going to have the link in today's show notes. You're definitely going to want to get that free training, which is amazing because it's so valuable. So you definitely want to join in on that. So thank you. And today, so let's get into today. So we're not going to leave you guys completely hanging. You're like, what? No, we're not going to tell you to go to that. You want to go to that, but you're also going to want to tune in for the rest of the podcast today. Like I said, we want to go over these do's and don'ts. We want to talk about why you're bored to stop fundraising. Uh, We want to know what nonprofits struggle with, et cetera. So let's go ahead and kind of open the gate on that. Like what overall, yeah. when we're looking at fundraising, and I know we talk a lot about grants on this show, but we also talk about other strategies and fundraising is huge. And I probably don't cover it as much as I should. So I'm really glad you're here today. Um, but what, <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the major, you know, do's and don'ts because a lot of nonprofits, okay, let's do a fundraiser. Everybody like puzzle around, let's go, 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 go. We're gonna raise $50 million in two weeks. And like kind of like, let's kind of pull back the curtain on that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing, especially people who are new to fundraising need to realize is there are a bunch of different fundraising activities and which ones you start with really matter. Um, You've got, you could do individual donor fundraising and even that you could break into some levels if you wanted. You've got event-based fundraising. You've got grant fundraising. You've got 
corporate or, you know, fundraising from businesses instead of individuals. And each one of those things come, it's basically its own business. Each one of those things is adding a whole arm of business to your nonprofit. And the way I like to think about them, one is fundraising events for the purpose, if their purpose is to bring in money, they are very expensive and very yeah. time consuming. So, um, you know, I like to say, you know, a lot of nonprofits start there because they see a lot of other nonprofits starting there. But I'm here to tell you, a lot of those people, they're failing the test. And so don't yeah. cheat off your neighbor. who's <laughs> failing the test. Um, they are not able to scale their fundraising efforts because they burn up all their energy doing the event. <clears throat> Grants are great, um, but they come right with their own work. And a lot of people, they're struggling to do the work of getting the grant, but then I'm sure you could talk about there's the work of once you have the grant. Yeah. One of the mistakes I see a lot, um, besides people not factoring that in, is they don't always get their budget right. And yeah. they ask for too little Mm -hmm. um, in certain areas. And then they are stuck. God forbid they get it yeah. <laughs> and they are stuck on delivering something that isn't really that deliverable. So there's, mm -hmm. I see, you know, grant writing is kind of an advanced tactic and it's scalable, but it's not as scalable as some other things. Meaning the more grants you've got going on there, the more stuff you got to do to maintain them. Right. Then we've got your corporate sponsorships. That's a whole nother beast because corporations, they want to give to you, but mostly because, not because they want to advertise to your audience. They don't really care how many, you know, the, the few hundred people who are going to come to your event. They want your goodness to rub off on mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. and make yeah. them look good. So if you're going to be really good at corporate sponsorships, you've got to be an extremely savvy marketer yourself. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so that's like, I'm sure most nonprofits, they are not anywhere ready <laughs> to be a savvy corporate marketer in addition to all their nonprofit work, <laughs> which leaves me with individual donors. And this is where I think most nonprofits need to start. Master your individual giving or, you know, get it humming before yeah. you yeah. move on to a second activity. Because the thing about individual giving is it's the cl it's super closely aligned, right? Mm -hmm. I like to say your donors and you as a nonprofit, you have the same mission, mm -hmm. but you're going to fill your mission by doing the work mm -hmm. and your donors are going to fill that mission by giving their money but you share the exact same mission. And so you're super tightly aligned, which means once you've got that donor, it's pretty easy to retain them. Even if you just try a little, because yep. they're on this, they're totally on the same page with you. And then once you get a nice dedicated bunch, you mm -hmm. can get them to bring new people in. So these activities of doing donor-based fundraising are the most scalable. And by scalable, I mean, the money goes up much greater than the effort, right? The effort yeah. goes up a little, but the, yeah. the money goes up exponentially, which means you can get that humming 
and have time now and money to start doing things like grant writing or corporate sponsorships or whatever feels like the best fit for your organization. Um, so I see a lot of organizations just starting in the wrong spot, events mm-hmm. and grants, especially new organizations who don't realize they're not going to qualify for very yeah. many grants because they're brand new, because they haven't proven themselves yet. Yeah. So even the donors that come in, I mean, that's great because I always say for grants, you guys, what they're looking, funding sources they're looking for are, can you manage money? Can you implement projects? And if you're brand new and you've never gotten a grant, you've never gotten done a fundraiser, you've never managed or implemented a project or managed money, it's going to be, you can't really show your credibility, right? Like, why would they give you money? So I love like starting these other things where even individual donors, you might say, well, Holly, we haven't got any grants, but we get, you know, every year, or every month, we have this much income coming in. So we are managing money. We are implementing yeah. projects because that money that comes in then pays for a project. So that can help build for these other fundraising um, kind of streams like you're talking about, which is beautiful. absolutely it's yeah. really beautiful. Um, and you're, for the most part, individual donors they don't care that you haven't managed that much money. Um, And they don't want to restrict their donations. Talk about another mistake I see organizations making with individual donors is they're asking their donors, pick, where do you want your money to go? Oh, yeah. It's overwhelming. They just want it to go to the mission. And you don't need to restrict your money (laughs) like that. That makes your work a lot harder. So Mm -hmm. don't give your donors, don't overwhelm them with choices. Just say, you know, just they should already be trusting that you're going to put the money where it's best spent. Um, Yeah. So that's probably one of the biggest kind of, you know, do's and don'ts is start your work in the right place. And until you really feel like you've got some scale in your individual donating, donating donors, um, don't move on to the next thing because you're going to get overwhelmed and kind of flop. Um, I love that. So where do you start then? I mean, I know we're not totally deep digging into this, but I want to dig into it a little bit. With individual donations or donors, um, do you start with friends and family? Where do you start, you know? Yeah, so I think you it is starts small and it gets bigger and bigger more easily as you get bigger. Um, you can absolutely start with friends and family, but what happens is it's like you get this little boost because they're your low-hanging fruit. But yeah. your friends and family, those are not the donors who want who have the same mission as you. Yeah. Those yeah. Your friends and family their mission is to support their friend, you. Right. Not your mission, just you personally, because you asked and because they believe in you. Yeah. Um, so that's going to give you like a little initial boost, but you're not going to be able to retap that source, except yeah. a few of them might actually also believe in your mission. Yeah. Um, so what you need to do is start finding a few people who do believe in your mission and your vision of how this is going to play out. Some people who are capable of giving, you know, a little more, because you're going to have to put a lot of work into this, a thousand or um, $2,500 would be ideal. So one, you you know, you can start networking, um, which you might have a network, you can ask around, but two, one of the approaches I like, which is a little more, um, you know, 
even if you don't come from money or you don't know people, is I call it a program development interview. So you're going to create like a list of questions asking about the issues that you intend to work on as an organization. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go around, you can even interview people who work at foundation saying, I'm not asking you for money, mm-hmm. I, but I know that your foundation supports this kind of arena that I'm working in. And I'd love to get your feedback on, you know, what the, what the issues really are, you know, would you get Holly at the foundation? Would you give me, you know, 30 minutes for me to like, get your feedback on what the issues really are. You can do the same thing with a a major donor or just people who you know are interested and maybe give to other organizations. You Mm -hmm. used to be able to find those people on other nonprofits tax returns, the new ones, they're not doing that anymore. But if you pull up some old, not find other nonprofits who are bigger, who do similar work or in a similar area, look Mm -hmm. up their older tax returns and you will find donors names on there. And then it's a simple ask. Um, if they've given over a certain amount, but the big yeah. ones, you'll get a lot of no's, but you will get yeses because you're asking people for their opinion, their expertise. And people mm-hmm. like to give their opinion, especially on issues that they're passionate about. And right. so through this way, one, you get two things. You start building a relationship with a potential donor. And mm-hmm. two, they're going to tell you the exact language that you're going to need Ooh. to convince all your future donors. So you don't have to worry so much about, you know, what messaging do I use? You just record those interviews and then use the exact same words. You'll see them. Once you've done like 10 or 12, Mm -hmm. things will start, themes will appear, words will appear. And those are the words you're going to use when you go back and start making asks. Um, Now you can go back to those same people and ask them. Some of those people will say, well, when you get started, give me a call. I'd love to help out. And that's, that's your uh-huh. clue. Um, not everybody, but it's, it's highly likely that a few will. So that's how you go about this really like manual work of getting the first, your first five big donors, yeah. you know, by mm-hmm. big, like a couple of thousand. And I think an area where a lot of nonprofits need more knowledge that I keep seeing is that first, I call it the first 100 or first 150 donors. Very few people are offering like information on how to get that first 150 because there's a lot of things that don't apply if you're under 150 donors. You don't need a CRM, you don't social media, (laughs) like (laughs) most of the things that are out there about fundraising are not for you yet. And that's really important to to right size your efforts to where you're at. Oh, I love that. I, I, I love, that's such a good tip too. I'm looking at, because those are your perfect people. Like you're saying, those donors you find on other nonprofits tax returns. Those are the ones that really do believe in that mission, right? So if your mission aligns, it just makes sense. I mean, that's like, that's a huge tip, you guys. Big gold nugget right there. <laughs> so I love that. So when looking at, and I like that you said, yeah, friends and family, that can be like, it's almost like to me, and I know Sean Kotowski has talked about this before. It's more of an infusion. You look mm-hmm. at those types of things as like, it's not sustainable long-term, but it's like a, a quick infusion. And you yeah. know, so that can be something that is a part of the plan just to kind of get some buzz around it, but long-term you need something more. Um, so let's see, 
why? Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about this. Let's get into the mini green. Why should you stop asking your board to fundraise? <laughs> <laughs> so I gave this as a short training recently, mm-hmm. and I hear this all the time from frustrated, overwhelmed executive directors. I can't get my board to fundraise. Yep. And whenever it anywhere in my own business and nonprofits, when I start hearing my team or someone else's team saying, this isn't working or this is really hard. My first question is, do we really need to be doing it? Right. There's a good chance, regardless of what it is, that if it's so hard for everybody that maybe we don't really, maybe that's not where our time should be spent. So mm-hmm. I took it upon myself to kind of dig into um, whether or not this was really necessary. And here's where I kind of landed on my thinking about um, this. First of all, board's primary job, like from a legal perspective, they're liable, which means they need to provide oversight. They need to be ensuring that everything is happening above board legally. And, um, and that's like, that's primary objective. And so few boards are even doing that, right? So first of all, I'd say, if your board doesn't have a good approach to just seeing what's going on, if you don't have a way of showing them what's going on, they can't look at it and say yes to, there's two things that boards need to be checking. Are we doing it? And do we think we're doing it? as best as can be done, given Mm -hmm. our current resources. They need to be looking at money. They need to, you know, how the money do, are we spending money in a reasonable way? Are we keeping track of our money? And are Mm -hmm. we spending it as well as we could be? Um, The next thing is, you know, having a strategy or looking at outcomes, like are we making progress towards our goal, towards our mission? Yes Mm -hmm. or no? (laughs) And, um, you know, hopefully the answer is yes, could we be doing more? Yes or no? Are we doing it as well as we could be? And then the third thing is leadership. You know, do we have a leadership way, a way of running the nonprofit that uh, is it being managed properly? Um, are people accountable for things? Is everything accounted for? Um, is the executive director a good fit? Um, and if your board isn't doing that, forget about asking them to do anything else because that they've got to do that first. Um, so, and most boards aren't there. Second thing is being a board member is, it's a big job, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so why ask your board members who are volunteers to volunteer even more? <laughs> like there, many of them are at capacity. So if you can't mm-hmm. get them to fundraise, it could be that they're at capacity. Um, and, and you know what, there's so many other people you can ask to fundraise. So you don't, you can create a whole separate committee, not a committee of the board, just a committee of your nonprofit, a volunteer committee who are your fundraising committee. I like to name it like a circle of friends, um, or like your donor circle. And you take those, you know, you found those two to five major donors, right? Those people who Mm -hmm. give a thousand and you say, Hey, do you want to help even more by being in the special friends group um, mm-hmm. and help us figure out how to fundraise even more? Mm-hmm. And then they will fundraise for you. And they're a hundred percent about money. You can stack it with all the wealthy people you can find, right? So you don't have to ask your board to be this group. Why ask them to do double duty when you can just ask a whole separate group of people who probably don't want all that responsibility of being a board member because 
they very well may have a lot of responsibility. If they're a successful business owner, they got responsibility, <laughs> liability, you know, as much as they probably want. They're probably looking to reduce it. Um, so that's the second reason. Um, a third reason is why I like to say stop asking your board to fundraise is too many times that gets translated into it's your board's job to figure out all the fundraising. And your board is not a group of fundraising professionals. You need someone in your organization who's leading fundraising, creating the plan. And then maybe if they want your board to participate in some way, then by all means, your board should be saying yes to any favors that are asked from the organization of them that they can do. Um, But their fundraising is not more important than, um, you know, helping to figure out any other problem that the organization is having. Board members should be on deck to say yes if they can. The last thing that I don't hear people talking about that I think is the number one most important reason why you should not be asking or not building a fundraising board mm-hmm. is having to do with systemic biases and exclusion. If you are intentionally, the board has this power, legal mm-hmm. power, and you are stacking now the people with money, right? As soon as you start attaching money to having the opportunity to have a position of power, you're adding economic privilege to the power, you are going to be perpetuating systemic biases, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not. So um, I really encourage people, even if that's the only reason, not to pair those things. Let that other group be the money group. You don't have to attach the economic status with the decision-making power for the future. And that can free you up to have so many more of your constituents, especially if you're in um, the poverty space at all, to have them be on your board because they probably have, they probably really care about the double check. They probably have a lot of, um, they're ready to give you feedback and the kind of support you really want as an executive director. I love that. I I really love that last um, point as well, because you know, you're right. A lot of times when people are putting boards together, they think, who can we get on invite to our board that can raise this much money that, you know, is working at this business so they can donate, whatever. And instead of saying, who, who do we serve? What are our beneficiaries? Can we get some of those on our board who really understand the issue, uh, regardless of, um, you know, wealth, regardless of race, regardless of all of those things, and really make something that is represented, right? of the population that we serve or the, the, the issue that we serve or whatever. So I, I love that. And then, yeah, those other people, they can be your fundraising. <laughs> right. They don't have to be your board. You can have both. Yeah. That's yeah. The thing. You, can, you can have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> and I heard that there's um one of my students and she um, has this a circle of library friends or whatever. They help raise money for the library. You know, that's what they do. They're passionate about uh, literacy and all of that and that's so I love that because it your example because there actually are a lot of things like that that are called the circle of whatever and it sounds so much better than fundraising committees <laughs> <laughs> you know I gotta say one of my clients recently she tried this she was like I don't know but I'm gonna try it she was desperate and um just in the first meeting her circle of friends decided they were all gonna come up with a match to the annual campaign wow. and as a result they doubled their annual campaign with no additional work from right. the team at the organization, right? They did yeah. not do any additional work. 
except form the committee and hold the first meeting um, and they doubled their annual campaign. That's amazing. Yeah. So I love, I love that notion. I'm so glad that we talked about that. So I'm like, Ooh, that sounds controversial. <laughs> but no, I can, I can totally see where you're coming from. It makes so much sense. So what about myths? Let's talk about fundraising myths now. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the fundraising board is definitely one of them. Um, and I, I'll give one caveat. If your board is successfully and happily fundraising and you have no complaints about it, don't it. tell them <laughs> to stop. <laughs> um, although you might think about over time moving those who are great at fundraising, some of your board members might want to retire off the board and into that circle of friends. Um, yeah. But no, don't ever, if you've got good money coming in and there's no issues with it, don't stop. Don't yeah. <laughs> um, so some other fundraising myths. Um, I think the, the, um, the myth that I hear a lot of uh, small executive directors taking, um, uh, taking grants home on the weekend, this, this next grant will save us. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, yeah, right. So I yeah. love grants for running an experiment or some kind of infusion, but a grant is not likely to be there for you year in and year out. It is not like a continuous fund revenue stream. Um, so that big myth is, um, you know, it's like that injection that you can yeah. do a great with, but it's not a sustainable thing, um, yeah. which probably is attached to a big don't in my book. Don't use grant money to hire a, an employee mm. unless you are like really sure that you're also have the money to then raise the funds to continue to pay for that employee after yeah. you're longer receiving that money. Um, I see that happen too much. And it's sad when, when the grant runs out and the organization didn't make a plan and that person gets fired. Yeah, no, um, I totally agree with you. That, and that, you know, a lot of people, they don't, they don't realize they can hire consultants, they can hire contractors under grants. Mm -hmm. And that's a much more sustainable way because like you said, otherwise you are year one, if it's a two-year grant or whatever, you're already thinking, how am I going to maintain this employee? And they're yeah. thinking, how are they going to maintain me? <laughs> they keep my job because I know it's grant dependent, you know? So there's, it's just like, there's anxiety from the beginning. So yeah. unless they're like, somehow you're just like offsetting some of their hours, they're already an employee, that sort of thing. Or you can hire like consultants or contractors where they know they're only there for a certain scope of work, right? Or yeah. like you said, you have that sustainability plan where then they will know that they're still going to be, have a job. <laughs> Yeah, like I would totally use, not that there are grants that offer this, but if there were, I would use a grant to hire a development officer who by the time the grant run out was going to be like tripling their pay <laughs> in new fundraising revenue. Um, another myth, I think, around Giving Tuesday, if we can call it a myth, is that you have to do Giving Tuesday. Okay. What I like to tell people about Giving Tuesday is like, if it motivates you to do something that you wouldn't have done, <laughs> mm -hmm. then do it. But if it yeah. feels awful, you got the whole rest of the year with no competition from other nonprofits. So it's kind of a mixed bag. We're like on the one hand, there's a lot of hype and marketing that's being done that you don't have to do. Yeah. On the other hand, 
they're so, it's such a busy, there's such a noisy time. It's that much harder to stand out in the crowd. So if you love Giving Tuesday, do it. If it feels, you know, if it doesn't feel good, (laughs) if you're going, oh, this is so frustrating or it's always a flop, just skip it. You have my permission. It will not hurt you either way, um, you know, to do, to approach, you don't have to do Giving Tuesday. Um, Same with any kind of themed event. Like it's often a better, it's as good a motivator or more helpful as a motivator for you than it is for your donors. I love that. And for those of you listening who might not or watching that might not know, Giving Tuesday, it is the biggest biggest fundraising day for nonprofits um, around the world. And that is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. So basically it's kind of came out of after the Black Friday, all the sales, the shopping. It was like, how can we then give instead our monies um, instead of just buying stuff, how can we give it to help causes around the world? And it's such a cool event, but you're right. There's so much noise. So some of that you can build for your momentum, but otherwise you're right, it, it, the competition is unreal. So I'd like to yeah. say like, there's other things. What about like, you know, I don't know, like a day of the year that's kind of funny, like that month or whatever that connects to your nonprofit. Like, you know, um, there's certain like World Oceans Day that was just um, recently, right in June. And those ones, nonprofits that actually focus on marine conservation, that could be their giving Tuesday, quote unquote, right? That's the one that they really want to focus on more. There's other events. You can do any any fundraiser. You can connect with something, right? So it could be your anniversary of the year, whatever. So yeah, you don't have to love it. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think along those lines, like another kind of myth or, um, you know, <laughs> lie that, <laughs> that we tell ourselves is that we have to give our donors something of value in exchange. You don't mm-hmm. have to like give them a bag or tickets or a discount. Um, you know, oh, do right. thank them, right? Because that's yeah. part of maintaining the relationship. And we'll talk about that more in the webinar. Um, but um, this is the thing that they're getting is return on mission, right? Yeah. They're getting to say, I helped save that kid's life. I helped make that person not homeless, right? This is why storytelling is so important in fundraising because your donor wants to be able to say, I helped make that success story come true. Yeah. I was part of that, right? That's what they get out of it. And I think there's this like self-confidence of like, you know, oh, what am I going to give them? Or it's just, you know, they're giving to, it's one, feels one-sided. It is not one-sided. And in fact, if when you ask your donors to give, right, because they're probably not going to push money on you, you do have to say, hey, give, we do need right. it, it is appreciated and helpful. When you do that, you give them the opportunity to fulfill this really meaningful mission for themselves. And if you do not ask them, you are denying them the opportunity to do yeah. that. And that is a real, it is not good for you because you're not going to get the money and it is a true disservice to them. So um, I'd encourage, you know, like whatever you need, some mindset work to like really realize that when you give your your donors the opportunity to give, you are giving them something really special just in doing that by making, and the most important thing that you can give them in return is to share the successes with them, share the numerical data, share the qualitative data, the stories of it coming out, make them feel really good. And while there's some great information on stories and storytelling, 
in a pinch, I say, look to the weight loss community. Um, average, probably anybody here has seen a weight loss <laughs> advertisement. They are the best at telling before and afters. Your donors don't care about the middle. You are the middle. Yeah. You care about the middle. But your donors, they want the before. How horrible was it for the people or the animals or the planet that you served before you got there? And how wonderful is it? after they were helped or how wonderful is it going to be because they've been helped. They want that juicy, feel good before and after story. And that is one of the best gifts you could give anybody so that they hear that story and say, I did that, right? Imagine, you know, the weight loss thing. If you got to look back and say, I lost that 25 pounds Mm -hmm. Um, already. (laughs) That's what you get to give that's even better than the weight loss industry. The people still have to lose the, do the work. But when you're a nonprofit, that's what your donor gets to say. They just give the money and then they get to say, I help make that happen. And that's really special. I love that. That comparison is like perfect. And it also is very illuminating for you know, the marketing sales, look at the weight loss industry. <laughs> but you're right. It's, it's um, you know, they really want to see. And I love that you're saying, because I feel like, nonprofits also, they overthink incentives. I need Mm -hmm. to give them, instead of just letting your mission and what you're actually doing be the incentive, like you're talking about, right? Like, this is what we do. And I'm going to share it with you, like share those stories, what's happening, say thank you. A lot of times nonprofits forget to say thank you even. So that's something. Um, But yeah, I I know um, one of the organizations I was working or I work with um, on the board and it was like, oh, what are our sponsorship packages look like? And we have to offer all this stuff. And I remember saying, let's reframe and say, these are all the things that our nonprofit does. Do you Mm -hmm. want to be a part of this change, right? So it's like really saying, we don't need to give them more swag or give them more merch or give them more this or that or like whatever, you know, but we want to be able to say, do you want to be a part of this? Like what we're already Mm -hmm. doing. And I think that's so much more powerful. And it also feels a little less salesy. Like if you're kind of out there going, I don't want to feel salesy. I don't want to feel sleazy marketing-y. Like just what you're doing then communicate. You're already passionate about that, but just don't forget to say thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. You know, I think, you know, what it becomes, it's not salesy at all. It becomes... As a nonprofit, we believe in this really important thing. And that's why we're on a mission to change people. You know, did you know that some people are in this horrific, you know, condition in their lives and through working with us, they're now able to have this great result. And that's why we feel it's so important to be doing this work. Who's with me? Who wants to join me? Right. Exactly. That's all it is. And then your donors say, yep, I want in. Mm -hmm. Then they give you money and you get to do more. And then they're even happier because like, oh my God, we're doing even more. And yes, I want to do more. Yes, it feels so good. And um, that donor retention piece is not about, it's just about reminding your donors and re-engaging them, getting them to recommit um, to that mission. Awesome. All right. So very awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. So we talked about the fundraising do's and don'ts. We've talked about the myths with fundraising. We've talked about why you should stop asking your board to fundraise. And we also just talked about just some things in general with strategy. Um, So awesome stuff as usual. I got so much, I was taking notes. We didn't notice I was like marking things down. Such such good stuff. Um, So you guys, if you want more on strategy from Sarah, then definitely join us on August 3rd at 3 p.m. And I'll have all the information in the show notes. 
And if you want more information about Sarah before even that, because you're like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. <laughs> she is. Definitely check out pivotground.com. Um, yeah, so to contact Sarah, you can definitely find all of her information there. So before we close out today, any other uh, remarks, Sarah? Um, you know, kind of my, what I like to remind um, nonprofits, be brave, be bold. Most nonprofits are out there with a mission impossible. You are solving a complex, never solved before issue. And you've got to be ready to innovate and try new things. And that's scary. So my parting words is, you know, we're there with you. Holly's here. I'm here. There's lots of other helpers to the helpers. Um, go for it. Just go for it. Yay. Oh, awesome. All right. So yeah, just go for it and go to pivotgroup.com for more information too. Thanks so much, Sarah, um, for being on the show again today. And I'm sure we'll see you in the future and I'll see you on August 3rd. Yay. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Sarah Olivieria of Pivot Ground. And I also hope that you join us on August 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on um, the free training Sarah is going to conduct how to streamline your communication strategy so you can increase your time, money, and impact. Jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 180 for all of the show notes from today's episode, as well as to register for that free training on August 3rd. Once again, grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 180. All right, guys, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.